Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It's Carrie Newhoff here. I'm joined by David Kinneman. David, uh, how are things at the Barna Group? Uh, they're, go- they're going okay. Thanks. Good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you too. It really is. I've really enjoyed this Making Space series. It's good to sometimes take a pause and rethink what we do. One of the things I'm thinking about as we move into a whole new year, hopefully a different year than the year that we've had, is just trying to rethink everything churches do from the ground up. Like this is a a God-given opportunity, not just to hit pause on whatever was happening prior to the pandemic, but to go, hmm, if we were starting over again, how would we do it differently? That's what I'm thinking about. How about you, David? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when you think about all the ways that we as leaders have been, you know, sort of knocked off our center. I think it's a perfect time for us to rethink, like, where is our center? Of course, it's in Jesus. And and I think we, we actually need to start at that place is like, who are we in Christ? What has God called us to? Uh, where do we find our identity? Not in our success or how things are going for us, but in what he says about us. Uh, and then from there, build back the kind of, um, you know, things that God wants us to do. I'm, I'm a few years late to this book, but I'm reading Andre Agassi's uh, autobiography called Open. And a fantastic oh. book, uh, the, the tennis player. And, you know, there's, it's interesting hearing, hearing him talk about, you know, the, um, the process of becoming an elite athlete, winning early and often or, or struggling to win, but then finally breaking through. And then the, the ways in which as an athlete, he had to rebuild his motivation and his body and his mindset for different phases of his career. So I've been just taking a lot of just notes. It's a fun hmm. read, fan, fantastic book, well-written. Uh, but just, I think that's almost like this invitation to us is like, you know, what is God calling us to in this new season uh, personally? And then as a, a cohort of leaders, we know from the data that church leaders are getting older. Um, they've aged a lot the last 18 months, haven't we all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. It's like dog years the last two years. Exactly. But um, just recognizing uh, recognizing this this great opportunity, I think, to sort of rebuild our game to to lead and lead God's people effectively um, from the heart. And uh, I think it's just such a great opportunity. I'm, I'm excited by it. Well, this is the final installment of our mini-series called Making Space, which we have partnered with the Aspen Group for that. And Derek DeGroote is here from the Aspen Group. Derek, welcome back. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here with you guys. So I want to ask you, because you've been listening in on these episodes, but um, what can church leaders do if they want to rethink their church spaces as they move forward, either redesigning, building from scratch, planting new locations, planting new churches? What, what do you think church leaders can do if they want to rethink things? Well, I, I think it really starts with, uh, I, I guess my hope is that church leaders reimagine the role of, of space for starters. Mm. Um, you know, I think, I think the church has really fallen into uh, the trap that buildings are just a reflection of what we do. And while that's a part of it, um, I think there's there's something much bigger. You know, David, you talk about kind of this identity in Christ. Well, there's something bigger to reflect in our spaces too. And 
you know, I, I think if we can reimagine space as something that is about what we believe, it reflects what we believe, who we are, what we want to communicate uh, to the world, to our communities. Um, I think there's just a, there's, there's many more possibilities um, if we have that kind of line of thinking. Uh, and I, I really hope that all of the last 18 months um, makes it easier to reimagine space and that we had the same kind of um, view of space for so long. Uh, sometimes these crises can uh, help us do some of that reimagining because we have to, but I really hope that a church goes beyond that and just says, what is possible with space uh, in, in just a whole different way? Um, I think there's so much possibility. So on that note, if there was one thing you could invite church leaders to think about differently or do differently with their buildings, what would that be, Derek? I would love it if churches could imagine new experiences with space. I think, hmm. I think churches, another thing churches have done is they've mirrored um, kind of the, the culture we're in, and we're certainly called to be a part of the cultures we're in, but I don't know that our spaces should all look exactly like other spaces in culture. You know, I remember from the research we did a few years ago um, with Barna, you know, a lot of people were toured through spaces and didn't know it was a church. And I think um, I, I would love to say maybe more churches say, what kind of experiences can we actually create out of space um, that, for instance, kind of, um, merge fine arts and, and building arts, like art and architecture, or uh, new takes on the outdoors and the indoors together, or we've talked a lot about digital and physical, but what are like the actual integrated experiences? Not one or the other, but what, what, is, the, what is the integrated experiences? So I, I think there's a, there's a world that the church, only the church can tap into and in spending resources on buildings to create experiences that the rest of the world can't. And I think it, it will end up reflecting uh, who the church is if we do that well. Well, Derek, we're so grateful for your partnership and thanks for your insights as well. Um, hey, we have a special giveaway for listeners as well. Uh, they can find it at Aspen Group. That's A-S-P-E-N, just like the city, just like the tree, aspengroup.com slash Church Pulse. What are we giving away? Yeah, well, we're giving away copies of your new book uh, at your best. So we still have some copies left. Uh, would love if more people stop by aspengroup.com slash Church Pulse. And we still have some copies left. So we'd love to give them away. Awesome. Well, we will do that. And uh, then we're going to dive into a conversation today with Dr. Michelle and Aaron Reyes. Dr. Michelle Reyes is the Vice President of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, as well as a church planter, pastor's wife, author, speaker, and activist in Austin, Texas. In 2014, she and her husband Aaron, who we're also interviewing, co-planted Hope Community Church, a minority-led multicultural church that serves low-income and disadvantaged communities in East Austin. So with that said, let's dive into today's conversation. Well, Aaron and Michelle, welcome. We're so glad to have you on Church Pulse Weekly this week. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. It's a joy and an honor, brother. You're dealing, you're dealing with the real world reality of having a three-year-old and a six-year-old in the other room while we're doing this interview with no child care. I just want to say that because what, your babysitter got sick today or something like that or yeah, couldn't make it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Welcome to life for the last 18 months for every parent, right? So. <laughs> 
I just want to say, hey, you guys are keeping it real, which is awesome. So (laughs) we have talked a lot about digital innovation over the last 18 months. And I think the church has made some major, major strides in that direction with many more to come. But we are back to in-person or what what remains of in-person, what in-person will be. What innovations do you think we need to make or you are making in terms of physical space? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll be honest with our, our locale, our specific location, because we, we still are maintaining a distance of, of sections. We, we section them out for families and whatnot. Ah. And so we, we're, we don't have a large meeting space per se, but, but now that... Although we're in Austin, Texas, believe it, in October, it does cool down to the 80s. <laughs> and so, yeah, and so, yeah, nobody wants to be outside when it's only 80, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so what, what we uh, are, are going to do in terms of innovation is um, is because folks in our church, there, there's a mix between those who who still want to keep that separation and distance and those who like, whatever, but but to yeah. uh, serve as many people as possible, we're, we're thinking of having a... Uh, an, there's a field outside of the gym that we meet in and having an outdoor creating basically an outdoor space outside for either overflow or for families who, and we still have some families haven't come in, a, in over a year, but yeah, who, yeah. who have mentioned they would come if we had an outdoor opportunity. So for us, innovation is re- having the live stream and then having it be received outside uh, with the projector and a screen and, and then having, you know, however many chairs, rows of chairs outside with, with canopies and covered and whatnot. So that's an innovation that we've never done before in terms of having two right. spaces, one inside, one outside, uh, because like the space that we meet in, uh, if there were no pro- COVID protocols and we were just sitting as if it was pre-plague, pre-pandemic, we, we could probably fit 175 chairs in there, but, but okay. now with where we are now uh, with keeping distance, we each week we set out about 115 chairs and, uh, and we're, we're pushing that number up against that. And, uh, and, and so we're now immediately thinking through, Hey, let's get this off the ground. It is getting slightly cooler again, not a ton cooler, but, but getting cooler that the families will, we think and trust will to be able to tolerate it. So that's an innovation that we're having to think about because, um, mm-hmm. And again, maybe to give some context to our church, our church is a, is a uh, diverse ethnically, diverse economically too, and mm-hmm. and diverse politically. And I imagine a lot of churches would agree would un, would would, would you know say that their church is like that as well. Uh, but we have folks, particularly what we've noticed a trend is those who are more higher educated, more affluent. There, there's a greater caution on their part when it comes to COVID. But for the, the other families in our church who are more on the lower SES uh, ladder and even more ethnically diverse, who are more brown and black, their, their concern is like, why are we still doing this? And I'm, mm. <laughs> I mean, the pastor within me is like, no, this, this, this plague is still around. This virus is still dangerous. And, and so we've had this tension of uh, one, one half of our church could really care less if we wear masks and many of them aren't vaccinated, but the other who are already vaccinated and they're, they're taking all these protocols, but, but still are, are, are have a great caution about coming in person. And, uh, and so that, that's been a challenge of having to navigate that for us. And, and we're hoping that this idea, this innovative idea for us, will, will be able to serve that well. Well, you know, 
That is such a helpful distinction. So I want to ask you a couple of questions, and I don't want this to be heard as political. First of all, I love that you have a diverse church, socioeconomically, ethnically, um, and politically. I think that's what the church should be. So this is not a political question. But like Texas is one of the most open states in America, correct? Are there any restrictions internally, like from the city of Austin? or your county that say you have to social distance inside? Or is that a choice you're making based on trying to serve your yeah, members well? That's a good question. Uh, so our the, our county gives recommendations. Uh, governor wow. Abbott, the governor of Texas, supersedes all that. And he basically, uh, this was months ago even, maybe even over a year ago, saying you can't have these restrictions. Uh, it's illegal to. And so what counties do instead is give these recommendations for protocols and guidelines. And, uh, and because we are in Austin, which is a much more liberal progressive city, there is a greater sensitivity to adhering uh, to what the county is suggesting. And, uh, and for us as a church, uh, we want to be stewards of, of that and, and uh, honor our leaders and trust the science as well. Um, and, yeah. and, that. And, and, our, and again, our church is split between those who uh, are very, who, you know, who, who, who pay attention, who keep, who keep to up to date with all the cases and the numbers and what stage we're in. We have others who don't even know we have stages and guidelines and all that stuff. And, <laughs> uh, and that's okay. Uh, but, but wanting to, and when we we're trusting the science, you know, we believe God, uh, we believe in common grace and, 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 and yeah. all that. Uh, but we're wanting to serve. And, and again, precisely because we are in a vulnerable community where the highest uh, concentration of cases are in our city, the highest uh, wow. amount of, of death and those who are still in ICUs are in our neighborhoods. We're also wanting to, to be mindful of that. Uh, but it's this weird thing of folks who, you know, don't make a big deal of it are also the ones who uh, suffer the most. And so it, it, it's this weird um, balance, balancing act of, of serving all congregations, uh, all of our people in our congregation uh, with that. So and I'll, I'll just add to that because of where we're at and because of our church being a multicultural church uh, in a low income disadvantaged black and Brown community, you know, the majority of folks in our church have, have been touched by COVID in some way. I, I, I think probably the majority have lost um, a family member or, you know, grandparent and aunt and uncle to the coronavirus. Uh, and so even while there's still some split in terms of who's vaccinated, who's not, uh, differences in views on social distancing, uh, we've been grateful that that mutual understanding of, of loss from COVID-19 has uh created allowed people to be understanding towards the the protocols that we've put in place right now and so we we do require that anyone anybody that comes in person wears a mask uh we do require people to have their you know foreheads checked you know with temperature before they can come in uh and and thankfully there hasn't been any pushback uh but i think there is that's a result of of just the, the, the shared reality that we've had because of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, I'm so glad we're starting here because this is the very real world of every single church leader in America and beyond. Like, and, and there will be people who have different views. They would be like, well, if there's no restrictions, we're just going to open the doors. But I appreciate your sensitivity to the diversity of your community. How have you communicated those standards to people? about using physical space? And then how has that gone? You say there's been very little resistance. 
Um, I know a lot of leaders have found a ton of resistance to whatever they decided to do. If they're going to open it wide, they get resistance from people going, the pandemic's not over. If they decide to put in restrictions or even obey restrictions where there are restrictions, uh, they take it from all sides. So how has that gone in your context? Yeah. So we have adjusted our, our protocols and guidelines uh, as, as the, the county has as well. Uh, yeah. Back in June, we went down, I think, to stage two. And, and by that point, we didn't require any mask. And we made it optional, uh, but didn't require that. We, we, we even brought the chairs and section chairs closer together to from six to four feet. And then with the Delta variant uh, coming in July and August, we immediately, our county immediately went back up to stage five. And, and so it's just been a lot of communication and over communication with our church. Cause also <laughs> uh, within our community, as Michelle's alluding to is uh, some folks don't ever, they got emails, but they don't ever check it. Some mm-hmm. folks hardly ever check text. Some folks don't I mean their voice mailbox has been full for three years now. So we can't yeah. get no voicemails. Uh, some folks don't don't check uh, our our social media, our website. I, there are some even some members in our church, brother, that if I need to get a hold of them, I need to send them a, a DM on IG because <laughs> I know they'll check that. I know they'll check. <laughs> so we've had to over communicate, and 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 we've adopted uh, protocols and guidelines on our own that that's based on the county. And uh, and again, uh, I think in this sense, we haven't had the resistance that maybe some other churches have had mm-hmm. that that have uh, and and one reaction or or, or one uh, spectrum to side or the other. Uh, people have been very sensitive and accommodating and I think a supportive. Uh, we've had a few families on, on either end of the spectrum say, I, I'm not going because you're too restrictive or I'm not coming because there's not enough restrictions in place. And um, right. but, but by and large, uh, well, that's one thing we've learned. And we've got a couple of folks with PR background in our church who just say over-communicate, over-communicate, over-communicate. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's helped us a lot. I, I also think the church that suffers together stays together. Uh, awesome. I, I, I think it was about two months ago now, we, we had our trailer stolen. Uh, and, you know, we meet, well, a few months ago, we met at a middle school. Now we're meeting uh, in the gym of another local church. Uh, and so all of our belongings were in this trailer, uh, you know, over 20,000 worth of supplies. And, you know, being, being church planters, um, some of the things were just sentimental in the sense that Aaron and I, our first few years of, of church ministry, you know, purchasing these things with our own small income and, uh, and, and to have lost all of that along with, you know, music equipment and, and, and the, and the Bibles and the, the curriculum for kids and all of that. It was, it was really hard. Uh, we lost all the keys to the school. And so, um, you know, we had a, in the midst of all of this, the pandemic, social distancing masks, the Delta variant, we have our kids running around hallways with nowhere to go. And um, I just, I just felt like that experience in the midst of everything else with the pandemic just sort of brought our church together. And it was like, we're, we're going to figure this out and we're, we're going to be okay because we're just, we're going to take this step by step. And so even though it was not a fun experience to lose our trailer, uh, I think that moment was, was also, it was one of those bonding experiences for us as a church. And so, um, yeah, I think a lot of people, and I'm grateful for this, they're like, okay, we'll just, we'll figure this out together. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry that happened. And secondly, I absolutely love your perspective on it. I think that is a cherished gift, right? That you can look back at something that was painful in the moment, 
but also try to trace out the good in it and that it brought your community together. I'm glad you raised the whole idea of, you know, being a diverse church. When it comes to physical gatherings, right? I think there was the the statistics a few months old, but like Barna did extensive research into who wants only digital church. And like even among Gen Z or millennials, it's single digit of people who are saying, I only want digital options. Yeah. Everybody else wants hybrid or in person. So hybrid being seamless, like one week I'm in church, one week I'm online, one week I gather physically, the next I, I gather digitally, and then obviously in person only. Do you notice differences when it comes to different socioeconomic backgrounds or uh, even different racial backgrounds, like that people are saying, no, the building is more important to me. And I know this isn't going to be statistical, it'll be anecdotal, but no. I'm curious about what you are discovering in that respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I uh, Again, to, to, to add more details to where we're located, we're, we're, we're in a part of Austin, which has uh, been historically the, one of the most neglected, uh, distressed mm-hmm. parts of community. Uh, brown and black, a lot of immigrant com- uh, families in the community as well. And so uh, the digital for, for, for good portion of that segment is just, just eliminates their ability to participate because right. of internet access, right? That, I mean, to, to go digital requires you have to have internet you or, have to phone. Have, or phone and then you have to have, yeah, you have to have a smartphone uh, that's paid and <laughs> no outstanding balances, uh, right. but then to have internet and then devices to receive that. And so uh, that is, you know, digital has, has made it so difficult. And I can speak to other pastors well in our community, uh, other bl- brown and black pastors, uh, churches that are much older than ours, where the, when they just went all online, like their, their participation just plummeted because yeah. people just not engaging and, and, and not able or not able to engage or participate or, and the, or some uh, senior members not knowing how to navigate Facebook or YouTube and, mm. and, uh, and, and those challenges. So uh, for, for that segment uh, in person, me, gathering at a physical space is a high priority, is a high value. Uh, and it was that way even before the pandemic, right? This is the reason why for immigrant churches, uh, the ch- immigrant churches are going to see their members five Sundays out of the month, even though there's only four Sundays, like they're so involved. It's, it's like, they're there uh, an extra Sunday. And, and, and it's because that also is the only time they're available to meet. And so mm-hmm. um, that that's something that we've seen. Um, but then those who are, you know, college educated, uh, more affluent, ha- more have greater economic mobility. Uh, they're, they're where they've utilized the hybrid as well. So we've mm-hmm. seen a number of, uh, young adults, millennials, Gen Xers that half half the Sundays of the month they're they're in person. The other half they're online. Uh, you know, some of them are also traveling a lot, and so they're realizing, oh, I can I can participate in the mountains of Colorado. You know, <laughs> so yeah, been able to do that as well. But especially the the singles in our church, black and brown singles, the folks that are from East Austin. Uh, I would say those are the people that we have seen consistently week in and week mm-hmm. out that if there is any sort of church gathering, whether it's Sunday morning or throughout the week, they're going to be there uh, because, you know, families, husbands, wives, kids, they already have that uh, built-in community, uh, whereas, you know, singles don't. And so I I think that has been one of the, one of the trends that we've seen is just, um, you know, seeing our, our singles actually rise in leadership 
uh, rise in their, you know, stepping up in terms of their commitment. Uh, and also kind of a realization for us, like, oh, we need, we need to be spending even more time pouring into the singles in their church um, because, Amen. because they're just, they're playing a bigger role right now um, because of COVID and because of all of these other, um, you know, new issues that have, uh, have arisen. You know, it's interesting too, because you have people who are afraid of community and then other people who are like, ah, there's no issue, pandemic, what pandemic? But you probably also have people who are really craving community. Mm-hmm. How have you seen that dynamic play out in your church? Yeah, that's a real good question. Uh, so we've had folks um, specifically just ask me, say, Pastor, uh, you know, I, I've this has been a hard year. I, yeah. I, we're needing, who, who can I connect with? You know, before they probably would have been a little bit more selective with the type of connections and relationships they're wanting, but now it's it's no matter what. Just connect me with saints who are two generations removed from me, and and, and we want that. Uh, but we've, and, and along with what Michelle was saying, is we've seen uh, single saints in our church just on their own uh, g- generate gatherings, um, going out to, to hiking, going 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 to. Um, What's it called? We don't do that. We when people do camp, camping. <laughs> yeah, like, camping, camping. Hey, go to tent. It's almost a bad word, right? We the can't. Thing say we it don't do. Caring, we're camping. not being. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Latinos, we don't camp, man. <laughs> <laughs> I never used to, but uh, hey, we got to talk to my family about that. Long story for another day. I got it. So camping. So they go camping. Is that yeah, where we were doing that, and uh, and and that's been sweet. Um, I've also seen. I've been amazed with how this desire for community, it's also pushed some of our members to get to know their neighbors more. Mm. Yeah. And so we've seen uh, families and, and young couples with their their apartment neighbors or their neighbors across the street actually building relationships there that they didn't do before um, because of that desire for community. So it's been sweet to see um, those relationships form and then even see like, oh, wow, this is easier than I thought, <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. getting to know my neighbor and and, and loving them and, and even, you know, evangelizing and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. We've, our pre-pandemic, our church, uh, you know, we, because we, we're in a place in East Austin that's surrounded by government housing. And so one of, one of our weekly ministries is, you know, knocking on doors, uh, asking people if we can pray for them. Uh, that's something that's continued throughout the pandemic. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, it, those are always sweet connections uh, with the folks that we get to meet and are building relationships with. And there was, there was one woman, uh, an older saint, African-American woman who um, somebody knocked on her door and got to know her and was praying with her. And she just felt so encouraged by that time of prayer that she said, can I come to your church and sing on Sunday? We're like, sure, come on, <laughs> come on and sing. Uh, and so she came, she brought some of her family and uh, and just sang this beautiful gospel song. Uh, and uh, I think everybody in our church was just blessed by that. And so we've also seen that too, in the sense mm-hmm. that the, our community is also craving connection and yeah. craving um, friendships as well. And, and so I think people that before you know maybe we'd knock on their door pray for them and and they wouldn't be interested in, in talking further now now they're like okay when's when's your next service or mm-hmm. are you guys having a are you grilling soon are you guys having a church meal uh can we join you and so there's this kind of been that mutual um growth of, of our church members 
willing to just meet new people in the community and the community uh, being far mm-hmm. more open to connecting with us as a church. Okay. And so we praise God for that. I mean, we never wish this pandemic on anyone, but we've, we've been thankful for small moments like that, that God is working in the midst mm-hmm. of, of, of this difficult time. Amen. So like a lot of pastors who are listening to this interview, you are, from what I understand, in rented space, right? You don't have a building that you can call your your own yet for gathering. What have been some of the uh, things you would long for in a building, if you had one, when you think about the post-pandemic reality, the way people are thinking about community? And then what are you doing? You, you hinted on it already that you're looking at an outdoor service when the temperatures come down. What are some other innovations in physical space you're looking at yeah. um, as you move forward as a church? Yeah, that's a good question. Good question. So one of the things that, that a building in our context conveys is stability. Yeah. And, and uh, when we first, we, we, we planted our church in 2014. So we've been in the neighborhood and the area for about seven years. And when we first came, something that I didn't anticipate as strongly, I knew it was going to be there. I didn't anticipate it as strongly, but for how many of the brown and black folks, for Latinos, African-Americans, it was difficult for them to conceive, uh, interpret us as a legitimate church, A, until we started having Sunday worship. We were like, hey, come join our, our core team. And they're like, what's a core team? You know, what's a, what's a small yeah. group? Uh, like, tell me when you when you worship on Sunday, um, and and specifically for for our African American neighbors, uh, the difficulty of of seeing you as a real church without a building. Hmm. Now, Latino churches, immigrant churches, we're, we're used to meeting in all these different spaces, uh, but but it, but it's not as common in the African American movement, in the African American church, to uh, so there there's that tangible building space, and so for us, what what it would be amazing if we had our own building is to say like, we're here and we're planted and we're stable. And, and there's a, a certain sense of legitimacy uh, that goes within that. Uh, now, other contexts, maybe not so much, right? I remember uh, when we were in seminary and we're reading the church planting literature, there was this push of, you know, you don't need buildings as much. They're, they're not as needed. You know, you can be in a public space and whatnot, but, but for our context, that building still, we're in a, we're, we're not in an unchurched, dechurched community. People in our context are, theistic in some degree or another. Mm. They believe in some God. So we're not having to convince them that there's God there. there there's a value in the local church. They they give reverence to my office title as a pastor. I'm in the neighborhood. Everyone's calling me pastor. And and so, but to have a building would, would even further signify, hey, we're here, we're, we're invested and, um, and and you guys have a place here. So we would love that. And then on the community development front, like we have dreams of if, if God uh, would, would grant us this and, uh, and be gracious in this way is having a building where we could u- utilize the building for community development, um, hmm. where, where we could uh, have trade school trainings in our community, right? Uh, that many of the, the young men and young women, but specifically the young men who graduate high school, most of them don't go to college in our neighborhood. They'll try a community college, but then they're out and then they're trying to they get into the game of hustling and, uh, or they're working three part-time jobs, can't stick with one. And, and, and there's this, uh, no one has this, this idea of like, you can, you can earn a living doing blue collar work, be working with your hand, being a tradesperson, a tradesman. And so we've had this vision of how do we, how can we utilize a building space where we have uh, tr- trade school training, where we, where we have a pair, an electrician or someone in, in construction or contractor with a 16 year old boy, a brown and black boy to say, Hey, you can make a lot of money doing this, hmm. but to give value because the schools, do, I mean, schools do great here, but 
my perception of many school districts, it's, it's either college or bust. And there's no vision for something other than college. When again, our, co- our community, families don't have the money to send their kids to college. And, and yeah. so what else can they do? So to, to see other community development initiatives that can come from it, I've, I'm already talking with my barber. I'm going to say, uh, my, my, I've already cast this vision of if we ever have a space um, that, that he takes up one type of office unit and, and he gives low, uh, low cost cuts to, to single mothers, to, to those who are, are even who can't pay 45 bucks now, which is like the market rate for uh, a fade in Austin. And, and to, but also then at night to turn uh, the, the, his office, his, 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 his uh, barbershop into a training school. Because hmm. that is, I, I had lunch yesterday with a 60 year old boy, African American boy. He said he wanted to be a barber. I was like, Okay, let me help you get that, you know, <laughs> and, and and so re- reimagining for community development space mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. Oh, Jen. Yeah, I mean, just to add terminology to that, I think a lot of multi-ethnic, multicultural churches, we talk about building that uh, pipeline for leaders of color, and uh, we've been influenced by you know Latino theologian Justo Gonzalez, who, who says you know we need to rethink the pipeline and think more in terms of a sprinkler, uh, and 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 the idea is that not every person of color is meant to do that track uh, into the academy, you know second. Uh, secondary, you know, higher education, uh, but rather, how can we um, sprinkle people in all fields of life uh, and, and, and in different uh, trades and, and, and skills? Uh, and so that's that's something that we're very passionate about too, and, and wanting to figure out how to do that, uh, particularly in the midst of a pandemic where a lot of people have lost their jobs. Mm. No, I love your heart and your vision for that. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I echo what's happening in the trades too. You talk to anyone in the trades, at least where I live in the Toronto area, and they just can't get enough people. And mm-hmm. everyone has that, like, got to go to college, got to get a white collar job. And like, my goodness, sometimes you're working for half the pay in that than you would if you could wire up a new house or, you know, even open up your own barbershop, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Also, totally empathize. We were double portable for eight years at our campuses. And if I had a dollar for every person who told me, you know, when you have a building, like, let me know, and then I'll come. And I'm like, no, we don't need you when we have a building. We need you. <laughs> right? So I get right. that. Amen. Well, um, if we do ever have a building, we won't have to worry about trailers being stolen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Michelle, you've got a new book. It's called Becoming All Things, How Small Changes Lead to Lasting Connections Across Culture. What are some of those small changes that church leaders can think about making? Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think it's a journey, right? Uh, step one is is really learning to develop your own cultural identity. Like a multi-ethnic, multicultural church, like the goal isn't just uh, cultural representation. It isn't just about making sure we have one African-American pastor, one Asian, one Latino, one Native American minister in your church. Uh, you know, if that's as far as you go, I mean, you you really are just playing the game of tokenism. Um, you want to achieve racial solidarity. The goal of a multi-ethnic church should be racial solidarity. Um, but that's a big leap. That's that's like 10 leaps uh, to take. And so I think, you know, if, if you want to talk about step one, that, that first small change that people can make in that direction, uh, it's learning to develop your own cultural identity. You know, each of us has a culture. Uh, God created each of us with a beautiful cultural identity that reflects his image in the world. 
What is your cultural identity? Uh, what are your values, your traditions, the stories that have, have formed you and make you? How do you express yourself, uh, your, your, your cultural narrative in the world through your faith, um, th you know, through your family and, and relationships? Uh, I think that if a, a church staff at, at, and church elders could start there and grow in their cultural awareness, they can then begin to make those steps of becoming multicultural, you know, creating space for different cultural values expressions, communication styles, and slowly build up toward racial solidarity, which is, okay, we want to know what the pains are in other communities of color. How can we link arms and address those together? Uh, but step one, uh, develop a cultural identity. That's, that's I think, the, the foundation. It feels like you guys founded your church on the basis that you're going to be a diverse community based around racial justice, solidarity, etc., but the, the events of the last year have really, year and a half, have caused a lot of division um, in a lot of churches, sadly, over the issue of racial mm -hmm. justice. How have you navigated those conversations, knowing that you are already in that work long before 2020 came along? Yeah, that's a real good question. And, and you're right, it has been a difficult year and a half. Uh, and and Maybe, and even for, for us in our context, it's been a difficult five years. You know, 2016, mm. in many ways, was a watershed moment for uh, many communities, brown and black communities, uh, who are in the uh, either in or, or, or approximate to kind of the evangelical movement. 2016 right. was, was a difficult. And, uh, and so ways we've navigated that is, is, to, is we've, we've lamented a lot. We've mm. mourned a lot. And we've created rhythms and patterns within our church to make space for that. Uh, with with uh, earlier this year, uh, with the, the 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 massacre in in, in Atlanta, where, where where that one gentleman killed multiple people, and most of them were were Asian American women. We have a lot of Asian Americans in our church, mm. and with mothers, we had fan, we had members in our church who were calling their mothers, saying, "Hey, don't go out to the grocery store. If you need anything, let me know. I'll have uh, I'll, I'll send Instacart over, whatnot." And 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 we've had to process that. And one ways that we do that is we immediately have this uh, uh, rhythm where 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 we create space for lament. We had a service of lament, and and we encouraged other churches in our community. Uh, even we we partnered with Korean American churches, Chinese American, Taiwanese, and said, hey, let's come together and, and let's lament. Let's pray. Let's ask how we're doing. Um, and, and so that's been one area. And, uh, and then even before that, the year before with, with, with George Floyd and, and uh, African-Americans in our church, in our community, we processing, walking with, lamenting, crying. So that's helped. But then as Michelle just mentioned is helping further reinforcing that, that your ethnicity is good. That brown is beautiful, black is beautiful, white is beautiful, and all the other shades and hues in between are beautiful and God given, God ordained, and we want to celebrate that. Uh, and 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 for many Christians, uh, for many minorities especially, uh, they haven't heard that before, and wow. and many haven't, and even for me, you know, and this is part of our story is when we begin walking with the Lord, uh, we we grew up in a, in a more white evangelical space and, and the Lord grew us. Uh, but we naturally, at least I'll speak for myself, you know, took on the values of those churches. And then, and it wasn't until Michelle and I got married where we started realizing, Hey, there's a lot of disconnect culturally. Hmm. And how come I'm not seeing 
the sounds that I heard growing up. I'm not seeing the smells. I'm not seeing the colors of my upbringing. And then we had in many ways, a a racial identity crisis and a formative moment in our mid twenties that the Lord really used uh, to teach me what it means to be Mexican American in Christ. And so we're wanting to encourage our people like you're at your ethnicity matters and, and, and God made it that way. And we want to empower you to live into that. Um, So, yeah. I feel like that could be a whole podcast and we've done a number of podcasts on that, but that's, that's very, very helpful. And uh, thank you for underscoring the importance of lament. Um, That really resonates at a very, very deep level. Any, um, I, I guess the question I want to leave you with is, when you look ahead, I don't think anyone can predict what's going to happen six months down the road. I gave up that uh, game a while ago. It's like, who knows, right? But what would you say your biggest challenge and your biggest opportunity is or are looking ahead? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, as a pastor's wife, I'm, prox- I'm proximate to a lot of conversations. I'm not necessarily in the conversations, but I know of the conversations. Mm. Uh, I think it's, I, so I, in many ways, share the, the the burden and the weight that Aaron carries in terms of just a wide variety of people coming from a wide spectrum of uh, opinions, thoughts, um, joys, but also frustrations. Uh, and, you know, I think um, it can be hard at times to hear people's frustrations and complaints because I'm like, don't, don't you know that we're trying to care for the greater good here? Don't you know that we're like trying to do what's best for the church? Uh, and it, it can feel hard because congregants can sometimes feel very selfish. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I think it's one of the things we have to remind ourselves is none of us have ever gone through a pandemic together. <laughs> we have to extend grace to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also too, uh, there's, you know, pastors themselves uh, are, are experiencing burnout and 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 that fatigue, uh, while everyone else is experiencing burnout and fatigue too. And just how can we, how can we extend grace to each other? How can we love each other through this pandemic while also encouraging our our congregants to think about the greater good of our church, the greater good of our community? You know, how how do we all? make sacrifices and compromises to, to care for each other right now. And so, um, yeah, I feel like that's just something we're going to have to continue to do for the next six months or, or however long we're in this pandemic. Yeah. Um, but just learning how to extend grace all the more with each other um, because there's a lot, there's really no right answer <laughs> to a lot yeah. of the things we're, we're experiencing and, and, and navigating. Mm. Oh, no. Aaron, for you, biggest challenge, biggest opportunity. Yeah. One is uh, in line of what Michelle's saying and the other is logistical. One is uh, to, to, to make it more concrete is uh, the Lord and uh, in, in his providence has brought a lot of the newer folks who are joining our church uh, are coming with scars and wounds, um, with church hurt, uh, with whether they were part of um, another evangelical church with, it, with abusive leadership and whatnot. Or they're coming from churches where those churches really fumbled the ball on racial solidarity. And these are ethnic minorities and, and are feeling neglected and overlooked. And so um, a, a lot of uh, our uh, Christian growth in that sense of like other Christians join has been from that, that space. And, and, and now we're trying to learn how do we pastor these people because they're, they're wounded and, and how to love them well and affirm their pain and hurt uh, while also uh, helping lead them towards, towards healing and seeking their own healing in Christ. 
Um, so that's one. Logistically, though, is our church is growing, and and we're we're limited in our building space. You know, with with the with the amount of chairs we have, what do we do beyond that? Uh, that's a big thing. Is and yesterday we had a sister uh, at church let me know say, Pastor, um, I know we just moved here, but all the chairs are gone. What, what are we going to do next week? <laughs> And I said, I don't know. <laughs> That's the best problem to have, isn't it? Isn't that good? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So thinking sure. through that, how do how do we navigate that while also um, myself delegating more to the staff because my my, my bandwidth uh, is, is just continually shrinking each week and and knowing <laughs> how, you know how to how to how to to use that metaphor of was it Matthias Media those those, those saints in, in Australia like how to, how to have enough of a trellis to keep up with the vine and, mm. and with, with you know keeping having that in mind so yeah well thank you so much Aaron and Michelle Reyes really grateful for you for your leadership Michelle's book is called Becoming All Things it's available I assume everywhere books are to be found these days and really appreciate the great work you're doing in Austin thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, brother. It's our pleasure. Well, that was a nuanced conversation for sure. And I'm really glad we got a chance to talk to Aaron and Michelle, David. Absolutely. What a great conversation and uh, leaders that I've admired for a long time. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, it is a complex world we live in. Sometimes we think, oh, okay, we'll just lift all restrictions, but it never it's never easy. It's not going to be easy moving forward. And uh, this also wraps up our series with the Aspen Group on making space. So hopefully this has helped you rethink space in numerous ways like barbershops and, you know, what else can the church do in that field of imagination? And Derek and the whole team at Aspen Group, thanks again for partnering with us. We've still got books available. So if you head on over to aspengroup.com slash church pulse, you might be able to get a free copy of At Your Best, my new book. And uh, we'll pick up with a fresh episode next time. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.